Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today is Romans chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There has never been a time in world history when evil cannot be overcome by good. As chaos and turmoil engulf the nations of the world, we must learn the truth of these powerful verses in Romans chapter 12. As we come to Romans chapter 12, we are ending the doctrinal portion of this great epistle and beginning the practical portion of Paul's letter. Paul is a master teacher. He begins by telling us what God has done in the glorious work of salvation. Then he gives us a whole series of commands that flow out of what God has done for us. The imperative flows out of the indicative in the Christian life. Paul begins this new section of his letter with the tremendous words, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect." These two verses sum up the whole of the outworking of the Christian life. It is a living sacrifice of our bodies to God. We must remember that the body is a good servant, but a very bad master. All our activities done by the body, by means of brain and eye and tongue and hand and foot, must be consciously devoted to Christ and laid down as a sacrifice upon his altar. The good news is that God's eternal kingdom is available to all. We may all live in daily partnership with God. Mark 1.15 says, All the preliminaries have been taken care of and the rule of God is now accessible to everyone. Review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable new opportunity. Because God's kingdom is freely available, 
man must surrender his body and mind to that kingdom and live in the good of it. Once the body and mind are surrendered entirely to God for his purposes, inner transformation in Christ will occur. So as we come to verse 16 to 21, we find a series of imperatives to work out our salvation by doing with our bodies and minds the things that reflect that we have made ourselves a living sacrifice to God. And as we do what God asks us, we will overcome evil with good. Looking at our text, we find three sets of triplets that give us commands for how to overcome evil with good. In the first triplet, all three imperatives deal with mental states. The first imperative states a general principle. Have the same mind together. Live harmoniously with one another. The second and third commands are warnings against the things that are most likely to interfere with living in harmony with one another. It is very instructive to note how often Paul urges the churches to live in harmony with one another. That's because strife prevents any Christian community from doing good work for God's kingdom. Paul says in Ephesians 4.3, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And in Philippians 2.2, he says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. We need to understand that living harmoniously in peace with one another coexists with great differences in non-essential matters. There is a saying by an unknown author from the 17th century, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. We need to live in harmony and unity with one another in all things pertaining to the faith. In other areas, we give one another a wide divergence of opinion, realizing that there are different strokes for different folks. But the real hindrances to us having the same mind toward one another in all things essential is not our various opinions in non-essential matters, but deeper things like self-conceit, feelings of superiority over others, dislike of other Christians' peculiarities, and indifference, which comes from a lack of imaginative sympathy for one another. These deficiencies in Christian character bring about disunity and disharmony within the church community. Sometimes the contrast between the command to live harmoniously and the strife and disunity in the church is glaring. This is often seen in the long-standing division in Christendom between free church worship and liturgical worship. If Christ is exalted and his cross is lifted high in worship, it matters not if we worship in non-denominational churches or in liturgical churches. What matters is that the faith once delivered to the saints from our Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles is upheld, cherished, proclaimed, and heralded to all the world. As long as Christ is adored and his gospel faithfully proclaimed, 
we ought to have loving fellowship and supportive relationships with all believers across the spectrum of denominations and worship preferences. Maintaining the spirit of unity and harmony ought to be a high priority for all followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Differences in social background, ethnicity, and education ought never divide us as believers. Yet often Christians separate from one another into little social groups who have no understanding or sympathy with others. The true story is told of one woman who attended a church that had neighborhood groups. She was new to the church and wanted to get to know some of the other people. So she approached the head of a neighborhood group to ask if she could join their fellowship. The woman in charge said, No, we are already too big and don't have any room for you. But a few minutes later, the woman who had asked to join the group saw a very wealthy and influential woman go up to that same lady in charge of the group and ask to join. The woman in charge said, Of course, we would love to have you join in our group. These carnal attitudes of playing favorites and fawning up to rich people destroy the essential unity of the church and render congregations ineffective and fruitless. Believers must not be proud, but enjoy the company of ordinary people. It is a lack of unity and harmony and showing favoritism that often accounts for the hindering of the work of Christ in many churches. How can we learn to stop being haughty in mind and showing favoritism to certain groups? By looking to the example of the Lord Jesus. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being found in appearance as a man humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. St. Chrysostom says, Here again Paul insists on humility, because there was a probability that the Romans would be high-minded. He keeps drawing off the sickness of pride. The third part of this first triplet is, Don't think you know it all. Stop being conceited. The Church Father Origen says, The conceited person is stupid in his own arrogance, nor can he know the wisdom of God if he clings to his own foolishness as if it were wisdom. The godly thinker and writer G.K. Chesterton says, Pride consists in a man making his personality the only test, instead of making the truth the test. It is pride to think that a thing looks ill because it does not look like something characteristic of oneself. In other words, conceit is the sin of thinking that only what I think or believe is true because it conforms and comes from my mind. The truth is, we are all very limited, and we must be humble enough to know our limitations and gladly learn from others. Verse 17 and 18 give us our next triplet of instruction. Never pay back evil with evil. Always do what is right, honorable, and good. Live peaceably with all men. The principle Paul is insisting on here is that hostility must be met with a holy and beautiful life. Because we follow the light of the world, 
those in the world will persecute us, but we are to live virtuous and beautiful lives that command the respect of all men. The New English Bible translates this verse, Let your aims be such as all men count honorable. A Christian is required to live a life that all will acknowledge as good and lovely. Even unbelievers recognize the standards that govern Christian conduct. So when Christians disregard these standards, they bring reproach upon the name of Christ. Unbelievers are very alert in inconsistencies in Christian conduct. If we say that we are followers of Christ, we must act like followers of Christ. Then verse 18 tells us, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. This verse doesn't mean be at peace so far as you can, but if it's impossible, then go ahead and quarrel. What it does mean is that we are to live at peace with all men at all times. Now, it takes two people to quarrel, and it takes two people to make peace, doesn't it? This is why Paul says, as far as it depends upon you, because we are responsible for our part in peacemaking, not for the other person's part. We don't know if we will live peaceably with all men because our neighbor may dislike us. Someone may pick a fight with us. You are not to blame for that because your part and his part are separate. But you are responsible on your part to be at peace with all men, whether they are at peace with you or not. The blame for any discord should lie with the other side and not with us. Don't engage in quarreling with someone even if they seek a quarrel with you. As we grow deeper in union with our Lord, we will learn to love the sinner but hate his sin. We will understand that a person controlled by anger and resentment is mastered by sin and not by the Holy Spirit. So we will have pity on that person and seek for his restoration and his healing. Now this command seems to be impossible. When situations become intolerable, it must be right to cherish hostility and seek vengeance upon our enemies. This command is difficult to obey, but it can be done through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. For the sake of our own souls and for our own salvation, we must avoid bitterness, anger, strife, and malice. Thank you.
are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Let's continue our lesson. Nothing is to be gained by anger or resentment. James 3.17 says, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and reasonable. Under no circumstances are we to meet hate with hate. Now, it does not follow that there are no times for opposition in the Christian life. Sometimes it is necessary for the good of others and for the good of society that evil actions must be opposed. Followers of the Lord Jesus must never condone sin or error, but opposition of evil must never be incompatible with holiness, truth, and righteousness. As one commentator says, we must take care that none of the devil's leaven mingles with our zeal against evil. We must always remember the wise words of St. Seraphim of Sarov, Acquire the spirit of peace, and a thousand souls around you shall be saved. Our third triplet of commands is found in verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now there are two parts to this triplet, the negative and the positive. The negative part is that we are not to take the law into our own hands, but let God's way of punishment work itself out. This applies not only to our deeds, but also to our thoughts and feelings. It's easy to think of our enemy, I hope he burns in hell. But the Lord Jesus forbids us to think this way. The verse says, leave room for the wrath of God. What does this term mean? It means that retribution is part of God's providential dealing with those who oppose him. Psalm 34.16 says the face of the Lord is against evildoers. This is a sobering truth. God punishes evil doing not only in the future at the day of judgment, but also in the present, in the consequences of our day-to-day living. We indulge in sin at a great cost even to the disfiguring and destruction of our own souls. Indulging in sin has a cumulative effect. It's like an avalanche of snow that starts at the top of the mountain and then accumulates and accumulates faster and faster, bringing destruction in its path. Recently, a Chinese businessman in Hong Kong asserted that all values are contrived and had no bearing on ultimate reality. A Christian responded, Do you therefore deny that any act is intrinsically evil? The businessman responded, That is a correct inference. 
So the Christian asked the question, suppose I were to take a newborn baby, bring it to this table, and proceed with a sharp knife to mutilate the child. Are you saying that there is nothing wrong or evil in that deed? The businessman shrugged, shifted his feet, and said, I may not like it, but I can't say it is morally wrong. This is the retribution of God upon the souls of those who consistently disregard and disobey him. They become so calloused and so hardened in sin that they cannot even recognize horrendous evil. In 1989, Lyle Menendez murdered his wealthy parents with a shotgun. He then watched his mother crawling in her own blood as she begged him to spare her life. Instead, he went into the adjoining room, reloaded his gun, and came back to calmly finish her off. Such evil, with no remorse, defies reason. There is a way to deal with the anger that comes from being offended so that we avoid damaging our souls. Recognize the resentment within you and hold back from expressing it. Simply let the initial fury of rage subside and it will not return. Then give your hurt and anger to God and beg Him to handle it. Turn the resentment and feelings of bitterness over to the Lord and ask Him to take care of you. We need to remember that just retribution and vengeance requires two things. It requires perfect knowledge of the true evil of an action and perfect freedom from all passions and ill feelings. Obviously, no man has these two requirements. Only God does, and therefore retribution belongs to God alone. In all our treatment of those who harm us, our concern must always be for the reformation and healing of their souls and the safety of society. But retribution and vengeance is never appropriate. The positive side to this final triplet is show love to your enemy and conquer evil by doing good. In other words, God's way of meeting hostility is to show kindness to your enemy. To treat someone with kindness rather than vengeance is the way to change their hearts. In 1865, following the United States Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln was severely criticized for his generosity to the South. In his second inaugural address, Lincoln said, With malice toward none, with charity for all, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace. The way to win over an enemy is to make him our friend. Helping to rebuild the broken South was a way to heal the nation by making enemies into friends. What does heaping burning coals upon his head in verse 20 mean? In ancient Palestine, coal was placed in a fire pan to keep the home warm and to cook food. So when the coal supply was depleted, the woman of the house might ask a neighbor for a refill. 
sharing coal was a symbol of the finest generosity from neighbor to neighbor. Heaping coals on an enemy's head is therefore a metaphor for providing a cooking fire to meet his basic needs. When people betray or insult us, we have a choice to make. We may bless their lives through acts of love or curse them through acts of revenge. When we choose the path of love and kindness, we provide for our enemy's need by helping to heal him. Our love and kindness induces a sense of burning shame which softens the heart of our enemy and may lead him to repentance. Finally, we come to the wonderful verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is a tremendous truth which applies to all aspects of our lives. We overcome our enemy when we win them to be our friend. We overcome our temptations when we use temptation as an opportunity to develop virtue. We overcome the self-pity of sorrow when we use sorrow to bring us closer to God. We overcome the evil intent of men around us when we are not seduced by them, but attract them to the goodness and beauty of Christ. Evil can and must be transformed by our positive works of goodness and blessing. During the last moments of his earthly life, our Lord Jesus said, Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, because of these words of our Lord, I am an eternal optimist. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I learned this lesson from my dear 91-year-old mother. In a recent phone conversation with my mother, who is suffering very difficult circumstances, she told me that someone asked her the secret of her abiding joy. She told her friend that it is because of the love and joy of the Lord Jesus within her. She counts her many blessings and her cup of joy overflows. My precious mother knows the secret of life. It is the Lord Jesus who conquers evil in all of us by overcoming evil with good and filling our lives with his joy. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. been listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with God Get Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener-supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated. 
Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint.